I think people are still in a kind of shock. It's still settling in that something this horrible can happen in a small community is not something that really enters the realm of imagination. It's very difficult to get your mind around. And I will say personally that it's still sinking in for me. I don't really know how to put it. I think that's what's happening right now is everybody is in shock. People are grieving. They are upset, but I think it's going to be a few weeks before the real impact of this is felt. And I hope that it doesn't mean people are less willing to be neighbors or less trusting and less friendly. But as they say, that's something that's going to take some time. I'm Peter McCulley. That's Dan Ferguson, a reporter with the Langley Advanced Times. In the early morning hours of Monday, August 25th, four individuals were shot over the course of five hours. On this edition of Today in BC, we'll talk with reporters from the Langley Advanced Times team about the chain of events, what is known about the shooter, and whether individuals experiencing homelessness were targeted. From hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels, westcoasttraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com. I'm joined by reporter Matthew Claxton from the Langley Advance Times. Thanks for being here to help us understand the events of August 25th. Thanks for having me here. Matthew, could you tell us what is known about the shooter? We know a little bit. I hit on Monday, did release his name, and there's a little bit of information about him. His name is Jordan Daniel Goggin. He was a 28-year-old man from Surrey. Beyond that, we know that the police said that he was known to police. Usually that means someone has some kind of criminal record or has at least been charged. In this case, that's not true. The police said that he had non-criminal contact with them. He has no criminal record that we can find. And he doesn't even seem to have any traffic tickets listed in the online court databases. The one thing that we do know is that he was sued in 2020. A woman sued him for a September 15th, 2018 crash that took place in Delta. According to her statement of claim that was filed with the court, Goggin's vehicle jumped over a pedestrian island, crossed 120th Street, and slammed head-on into her vehicle, which left her with some uh, some long-lasting injuries, according to the lawsuit. His lawyers had filed a statement of defense. Of course, they were denying that this had been that serious. And it was scheduled to go to trial in February. But that seems to be about the only encounter he had with the criminal justice system or civil courts in any way before before Monday. I think most folks were alerted literally to what had happened by an emergency alert about 6.15 on Monday morning. Yeah, that's how we found out about it. It, it certainly jolted me upright. I'd been awake for about five minutes. And then uh, we were on the go pretty quickly to try to find out what we could. And what happened with the alert was that by that point, Goggin had already been dead for about half an hour. Like he had apparently been killed at about 545 in the morning in downtown Langley, right near 200th Street and the Langley Bypass. But when the first alert came out, it made it clear that police used a phrase that they had an interaction with a suspect. But it also made it clear that they weren't sure he was the only suspect involved yet. So they were essentially being careful, thinking if there were two people, they wanted to still alert people. 
Matthew, there were four individuals shot over the course of about five hours. Could you take us through the timeline of that chain of events? Sure. According to IHIT, Sergeant David Lee laid out this timeline for us on Monday. The first shooting took place sometime around midnight. They didn't say if it was just before or just after. That was in the parking lot of the Cascades Casino in downtown Langley City, about the near 203rd Street and Fraser Highway. We know that the victim there was a woman who suffered critical injuries, and as of today, she's still in hospital. Then about three hours later at 3 a.m., the second shooting took place at Creekstone Place, which is a couple of miles north of there. It's a mile and a half north. It's in the township of Langley. A man was killed there. It looks like he was killed just outside the building. Creekstone is a supportive housing complex that opened in 2019. It's for people who are getting off the streets. Most of them were homeless before they moved into Creekstone. That was the first fatal shooting. Again, there's a pause, and about 5 a.m., back at the downtown Langley City bus loop, another man is shot and killed. And I should note that the bus loop is a short walk from where the first shooting took place. Like, those are actually quite close together. This is this zigzag pattern across the city where it's not consistent where he's going next. The bus loop is a pretty common gathering place for homeless people, but of course it's also very busy with early morning commuters around that time. And then the final shooting was about 545, and this was on 200th Street near the Langley Bypass next to a shopping center. It appears a man was shot in the leg and wounded. He's the least seriously injured out of the victims. He appears to have been shot while riding a bicycle, possibly on the sidewalk there. When we got there, there was still bits of clothing in the middle of 200th Street. It looks like the emergency responders were giving him first aid right there in the middle of the road before he was taken to hospital. So, Matthew, at what point did the RCMP catch up with Goggin? It looks like they caught up with him almost immediately after that final shooting. The scene of the shooting was just out on 200th Street, and the scene where Goggin was shot by police is just in the parking lot, just off of there. He was in the shopping plaza. There's a bank on one side. There's a jewelry store on the other side. And the white car that we'd been warned about in the first alert that was associated with him was just sitting there next to an RCMP cruiser. It looks like there was a pretty serious exchange of gunfire. There was what appears to be an RCMP SUV driven off 200th Street over the sidewalk and down into the sort of the grassy median and foliage separating the sidewalk from the parking lot. That had a row of bullet holes across the driver's side window. There may have been another bullet hole or two in the RCMP cruiser that was in the same parking lot. It's unclear who fired those shots. It's actually possible that the RCMP simply just started shooting at him through their own windshields. But we don't know. We've asked about that, and apparently that's going to be up to the Independent Investigations Office to clear up exactly what happened there. That's going to be their remit to talk about what happened to Goggin when he encountered the police. But at the end of that, Mr. Goggin was dead. There's a lot that we don't know. There's just a tremendous amount. I expect a lot of it is going to be in the report from the Independent Investigations Office eventually about what happened with the police. I fully expect there's going to be a full coroner's inquest into this. That's our bet for actually getting some real information about what may have motivated this. Matthew, cameras are everywhere in our world these days. Looking back, did investigators find Goggin on video? And if so, did the tape reveal anything? They released some images, the first images we've seen of him, and they said that he had changed his clothes at some point during this incident, which seems a little unusual. The first images that they released of him show him wearing just a black T-shirt 
and some brightly colored pants, which appear to be board shorts. He's holding something that the police have blurred out. We don't know what that was. And it's unclear exactly where that footage came from or what time of night it was. I believe it said it was a photo from a footage from some sort of shopping center, but we're not sure where. The second image that they released was from cameras at Creekstone Place, where he committed the second shooting. In that one, he's wearing work clothes. He's wearing those heavy-duty tan overalls. I think they're identified as Carhartt overalls in one of the RCMP alerts and a camouflage T-shirt. He looks like he's going off to a construction site. We don't really know too much more about why he changed his clothes in the middle of this incident at all. Matthew, you've got the alert on your phone. You've contacted the newsroom. You've got a couple of paragraphs live on the website. You're out the door. What's next? I headed straight down 200th Street. I live about three or four miles away from, from the downtown, so it's pretty straight through. Not too far away from the scene, you could see there was a lot of blue and red lights down there, a lot of police cars. I could hear the Air One helicopter, which was circling overhead. That's the RCMP helicopter that's based in Langley. And you could tell it was just doing loops over the downtown at that time. I just parked nearby and we started getting photos. And that was the scene, although we didn't know it at the time, where the final shooting and where Goggin encountered the RCMP. So that was the parking lot with the white car. By the time I got there, which would have been about 6.30, they had already set up a forensics tent in the parking lot, presumably over the scene where Goggin was killed. And other members of the newsroom were on route as well? Yeah, my colleague Heather Kolpitz was out. She was coming up the other direction. She was coming up from the south, so she headed to the bus loop. I'm not even sure at that point if we'd been warned if the bus loop was a site, but she just figured it was one of the most likely areas for something to be happening. As soon as she pulled in, she saw the yellow police tape and knew she was right. I should emphasize that the two of us were the first two to start getting these photos, and then we looped back to the office to get as much as we could up to the site, to file some stories, start making phone calls. Then when we got more detailed information about where all the four shooting scenes were, the next one we heard about, which was at the casino parking lot, I literally just walked there. That's how close our office is to the scenes of some of these shootings. We're right downtown. You and Heather and Dan are filing stories and sending photos back to the newsroom. Who's taking care of what in the newsroom? At that point, I was the main contact for trying to reach out to police and a number of other things. By the middle of the day, Dan was talking to homeless people. Once it had become clear that it was mostly homeless victims, we'd already heard that from one of our local homeless advocates, and the local police confirmed that they thought some of the victims were homeless. So Dan was talking to people in the streets and and following up with the Creekstone shootings. Heather went out a couple of times to get more photos. Everybody was going great guns. That included our editor, Roxanne Hooper. She was just working away with everybody else. But honestly, up until late afternoon, it's a bit of a blur. We were all go from about 6.30 in the morning. At some point, all four of you would have met back in the newsroom. You've come together for a few minutes. What was the mood? We were very focused because we were just trying to get things done. But all of us live in Langley. So this is just, it's not a great day. And what do we know about the victims, Matthew? We've heard what we believe are the names of some of the victims from some of our local homelessness advocates. We haven't confirmed any of those names. We're not going to publishing anything until we get really solid confirmation on that. We have heard that most or all of them were homeless or people who were in a marginal housing situation. It's possible that one of them lived at Creekstone Place. We're still trying to find out about that. Like I said, those are people who were homeless until they moved in there in most cases. So it's really just been an attack on the vulnerable for whatever reason. When Today in BC continues, we'll chat with reporter Dan Ferguson.
CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. Dan Ferguson is a reporter with the Langley Advanced Times who followed and contributed to this story. Dan, were you able to speak to people in the area about the fact that the victims were believed to be homeless? I spoke to some homeless people, some of them fairly close to one of the shootings, and they told me that this was really nothing new. It just represented an escalation of the harassment they already go through on a regular basis. People saying appalling things to them, people taking their pictures and posting them on vigilante social media sites. One man predicted that this would happen again. Stefan Steinfest, who has been on the streets in Langley City for two months now, he moved there from Aldergrove, said that he personally wasn't surprised that it had happened, and he predicted that it would happen again, that it's bad out there. His expression was bad news bears, but he was very pessimistic about the future. It's going to happen again. I think I will. It's staying here. I knew it was coming. It's coming again. It's going to happen again and again and again and again. And the fact that it seems to be going after homeless people, I mean, that can't... That's not good. That's bad. That's bad news bears. It's not good, babe. Now, are you going to be careful? Are you going to take precautions? Yes, I'm going to sleep at the police station up there in the front yard. Safest place ever. Dan, you also spoke with a woman who works with the homeless. Yes, Anita, who works at the Vineyard Church, was really quite distraught. She knows some of the people who were shot, she thinks. She said that it was just heartbreaking to know that people she considered her friends had been shot down for no reason. I'm very hurt at what happened today. Um... I know so many of the homeless people because I work with them and my ex-husband is on the street part-time and it, it breaks my heart to know that people are out there knocking off my friends, my friends and it just hurts me. There was one man, he didn't want his name used, he didn't want to be on camera, but he said he was there when one of the shootings happened, not far from the place where we were speaking in the parking lot he said he heard shots and he left he said he didn't see anything but he was fairly confident that what he heard was a bolt action rifle he said he heard the shell casings hit the ground and when i asked him if he was sure of that he said that he had a legal firearms license since he was 19 had owned 20 weapons over his lifetime to that point and, as he put it, knows what they sound like. He must have felt threatened in that situation. My impression of him is that, like most of the homeless people, he's evolved some coping strategies. And one of them is when things start to get hinky, you get out of there, you get out of the way. So the reflexes kicked in and he got away. It wasn't until later, I would say, that he realized exactly what was going on. And it scared him. And that's one of the reasons he didn't want his name used. He didn't want his picture taken. Dan, on the evening of Tuesday, July 26th, you attended a vigil for the victims of the shootings. That must have been an emotional event. There was a lot of emotion. There were people in tears. There were people hugging. 
there were people who were finding it very difficult just to get through the day in the wake of that news. Some were telling me that it really changed their feeling about living in a relatively small community like Langley City, that something like this could happen. After something like this happens, you find yourself wondering what new, unpleasant, and horrible surprise might be coming. And you had a chance to chat with the organizer of the vigil. This was put together by a mother and daughter, Bonnie the mum and Alyssa Kappen. They said that they originally planned it as just a small, informal event, mostly for family members and people that they knew. But word got out, they put it up on social media, and on the evening of the event, about 100 people showed up. They filled the small park, which is next to the parking lot where one of the shooting incidents took place, and were quite surprised and, in a sense, encouraged by the number of people who turned out to show support, show solidarity for the people who'd been shot and for the homeless people in general. When I was talking with Alyssa, she revealed that she herself had been a homeless person. She said that she had what she described as a really severe drug problem. She turned her life around, but that these were her people. She was going to stand with them and show that they weren't forgotten and that they weren't people that had no value, something that she no doubt had experienced herself when she was on the street. Just to come and show the people that are out here every day that live out here that we support them and are thinking about them in this time. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. So unintentionally, I guess. Um, but it's really nice to see that there's people here that are willing to support um, this population. Oh, I myself was a homeless person for many years. So I am in recovery from a really severe drug addiction. Um, and I turned my life around. So uh, these are my people. And um, I won't stand with anyone that doesn't see things that way. You also chatted with a woman. She was obviously in tears. She didn't want to give her name, but she did allow you to take her picture and interview her. I saw her sitting by herself on a ledge in this little park. Her face was quite calm. And the only thing that attracted my attention was the fact that she was sitting there calmly and tears were just rolling down her face. So I approached her and asked her before I pulled out the camera, if she'd be willing to have her picture taken. And she was willing. Then we talked a little bit, and she didn't want her name used, and she didn't want too many details, but she talked to me about being a tough person. That was how she viewed herself. This had just devastated her. As she put it, I'm absolutely broken. There was a great dignity there. One of the reasons I wanted the picture, and I hope that people can see it in the photo, is that this was a dignified human being who was grieving and trying very hard to get past this and didn't really think that was going to happen anytime soon. The question comes up, what's the impact on the community as a whole? I think we're probably going to have to wait a while before we know what the full impact is. I think people are still in a kind of shock. It's still settling in that something this horrible can happen in a small community is not something that really enters the realm of imagination. It's very difficult to get your mind around. And I will say personally that it's still sinking in for me. 
I don't really know how to put it. I think that's what's happening right now is everybody is in shock. People are grieving. They are upset, but I think it's going to be a few weeks before the real impact of this is felt. I hope that it doesn't mean people are less willing to be neighbors or less trusting and less friendly. But as they say, that's something that's going to take some time. I'd like to thank reporters Matthew Claxton and Dan Ferguson from the Langley Advance Times for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. 